means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are doing chapter 11, the Sorting Hats new song, and Molly is with us. Hello! If you hear clinking in the background, it's her knitting. (laughs) (laughs) So we have a loaded chapter to get to, it's a fun one. Molly has lots and lots of thoughts on some of our previous episodes, which we will get to. Uh, But first I want to shout out SLC333. Uh, who left a comment on our Order of the Phoenix Chapter 8 episode, which was the hearing. She, uh, or he, says, You guys are my favorite podcast on Spotify. I love your episodes. I'm a big fan of Harry Potter, and I like listening to your opinions on the different chapters. Thanks for making my day. Thank you for the comment. We That's really cool to hear, actually. Thank you. Uh, we know you have a lot of choices for your Harry Potter content, and we thank you for coming to this podcast. Hopefully you're enjoying the Sorting Hats new song, which is a lot. There's a lot going on with it. So much. Uh, but we, before we get to the song, we also arrive at Hogwarts, and there's some interesting conversations going on in the carriage over to the castle, because <laughs> uh, we pick up right where the last chapter left off, them getting into the carriage and then... Um, them writing up. Uh, we get a speech from Albus. We get a speech from Umbridge that surprises everyone. And we get a little altercation uh, in the Gryffindor common room. So that conversation that happens in the carriage, I it, it almost starting right from that, you're just as sane as I am bit from Luna that everybody like likes to go back to. But Luna then... St- chirps in on their conversations about Hagrid because uh, they noticed Hagrid wasn't there ushering the first years to the castle. And she says that Hagrid isn't really a good teacher. To which Harry and Ron vehemently argue. And Hermione argues eventually. Kinda. Kinda, sorta. Kinda, sorta. Luna goes on to uh, talk about how the Ravenclaws aren't exactly very impressed with Hagrid as a whole, (laughs) which is interesting. That makes me just wonder, do houses as a whole have their favorite teachers and their least favorite teachers and what that breakdown would be? Oh, I'm sure. The Gryffindors must have loved all of the events against the Dark Art. Well, not all of them. I mean, you can't love Lockhart, right? Except the girls might have loved Lockhart. I'm sure the girls loved Lockhart. Okay. I think Hagrid had potential to be a better teacher than he's played out to be. I agree. I think the whole Malfoy debacle really derailed his potential as a teacher. Yeah, it definitely put a very large speed bump into his teaching career very early. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, do I think he still probably would have been like, this is a really dangerous creature, but man, he's cute, so I'm going to bring him. So, do you (laughs) think that, like, Ravenclaws have this 
stereotype on them that they're all smart, brilliant, wise kids. But so if you follow that stereotype through, are they just like super thrilled with astronomy and arithmancy and like ancient runes and like <laughs> what are typically thought of as like the smart kid classes? <laughs> I can't imagine any of them like Trelawney either. Probably not. I think that they have appreciation for the logical and the tangible. So we're thinking, well, they must like Flitwick's class. Oh, I'm sure. Because obviously the, the head of house. Yeah. So you think they're liking McGonagall's? I think they like McGonagall. That structure kind of thing? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, McGonagall was almost a Ravenclaw, so. Yeah. You know? So, I obviously the Slytherins love Snape's class the most. And they probably hate everybody that's not Snape. Pretty much. Uh, Gryffindors are probably all over the place. Yeah. As a Hufflepuff, Molly, where would you put the Hufflepuffs in this whole thing? Ooh. Hufflepuffs are going to be open to anything, I think, you know. Wherever their passion or their... Wherever their passions lie. Okay. Fair enough. All all over the place, just like their founder, which we'll get to in a little bit. I also want to get your opinion, because as Harry walks in here, he gets this sense that every time he passes a group of people, they stop talking. Mm-hmm. And they look at him. Yeah. And he gets that sense that they were just talking about him. Yeah. And this is a whole great hall full of people. Yeah. And we've debated how many people are exactly in this great hall. And we get a number somewhere in the this chapter, the next chapter of like presumed kids. Yeah. But it's a lot. And I know as a... I'm not going to even say as a 15-year-old kid. Adult. <laughs> if I'm walking into a room and everybody stops talking and stares at me... <laughs> I'm suddenly very anxious and and very paranoid. Yes. And that doesn't make me very comfortable. No. And I'm probably like, I might have been the one being talked about. Mm -hmm. I might not have been. Yeah. There's a very high likelihood that Harry was the one they were were talking about here. I'm going to go with yeah. Yeah. likely. That's a feeling when a whole room of people has a whole variety of opinions on you. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I I can't imagine that type of feeling, whether it's paranoia or anxiety or anger. Yeah. That everybody's talking about you, but you can't have a piece of that conversation. You're just being talked about, not with. Yeah. Uh, It's got to be frustrating, right? Oh, I, oh my God, that would drive me nuts. I I mean, poor Harry. Because whether or not they're talking about him or not, there's still that feeling, especially with everything that happened and the, everything that's been in the profit. Yeah. And even if they're not talking about him, they clearly stop and stare at him. And now right. they're thinking about him. Right. Even if they weren't before, they are now. And they're thinking about the situation. And he's already kind of, well, I mean, not kind of, he's already a well known student at the school for his history it's he's had such an interesting ride in his first four years yeah where you know but this is it's different though like in his first year everybody's whispering and talking about him right which i guess is still not great because they're whispering and talking about him because his parents died right like that's why you're being talked about which isn't a comfortable way to be talked about then either now you're being talked about as a potential nutcase and attention seeker. And 
he really can't ever catch a break. He really can't. It's rough. It is rough. And uh, he, one of his security blankets is is not there. He notices at the staff table that uh, that Hagrid is not at the staff table. Right. Also, someone he recognizes is sitting right to the side of Dumbledore, and that's the woman from his trial, mm-hmm. Umbridge. That Umbridge woman. That Umbridge woman. And that segues us into the Sorting Hat song, which is a little half and half. Or really, like, three-quarters of the song is pretty normal. And then you get to, like, the last 25%, and you're just like, wow, this takes a turn. Yeah. So the first big, large bit of it is referring to the founders. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty much the normal message that the hat tries to give. Uh, The general history of the, the school and what really made the school what it is, which is the four founders and their relationships with each other and then how it all kind of fractured and grew apart. Um, So the idea of the founders as friends, the hat put Gryffindor and Slytherin together and Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw together. Yeah. And here's the, I think to make a school together, all four had to have a relationship with each other and respect one another's magical talents and abilities. Because that's the only way the four of them would come together. If you're the four best witches and wizards of your age, it comes with a certain cachet, I assume. Mm-hmm. But with the split that the hat discusses a little later, what in Gryffindor and Slytherin, they have such a violent... Uh, breakup, if you will. <laughs> but what's the thing that really drew them together is like, oh, we're we're friends. We're, you know, co-workers. We're together. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly that split happens. What do you think drew them together? I think that's the most interesting one. I wonder if it's just their strong personality types. You think the two type A's probably worked together? Yeah. Yeah. I think it might be the strong personality types and like Slytherins are ambitious, they're go-getters and Gryffindors are, um, they're brave and they're going to want to seek out, you know, getting things done. I think their, their defining characteristics really complement each other in that to be ambitious, you need to put yourself out there. Right. Which is a type of bravery. Right. And to be so bold and brave as Gryffindors tend to be that tends to get you further. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like that leads to the ambition. Definitely. It reminds me of like those, that couple, you know, in a relationship that they're just a little too fiery for each other. Like their personality types are just a little bit too similar, but they're different enough where they're just going to like hit their heads against the wall against each other. I think it's fine when everything's good. Yeah. But when things start to slip a little bit, yeah, it's personality types that can really clash and clash aggressively yes. and spectacularly. Yeah. And it seems like that's what's happened. And, the hat kind of goes into, like, Slytherin was 
focused on the purest ancestry and pure bloods of great cunning. Right. Gryffindor, brave deeds to their name, bravest and boldest. Ravenclaw, intelligence is the surest, mm -hmm. sharpest minds. Hufflepuff, you know what? We're going to just treat them all and you know see them all, treat them all the same, and that's fine. And we'll take everybody else. Yep. Everybody deserves an education. Everybody, I'll take whatever you guys don't want, and I'll treat them just the same. That's oh. how it should be done. I think Hufflepuff is the one to be admired amongst the four. I would agree. I bet you would. <laughs> I am. I identify as a Ravenclaw first, uh, but I have to give it up to Hufflepuff here. I think that's the right mindset. So the song really gets going here on uh, page 206 of my book, where it's nearly two-thirds of the way done with the whole song. And I feel like the hat has its own existential crisis, where it's like, what's my purpose? Mm -hmm. Like, what am I supposed to do here? Because I'm supposed to bring everybody together, but I see everything falling apart. And what am I supposed to do? I'm sorting into houses? That's not what I was really for. I'm literally separating people. Yeah. What am I doing? And you're seeing an article of clothing having an existential crisis of sorts <laughs> in front of you, which must be mind-blowing. The AI hat. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> oh, man. Um, All of a sudden it turns into the Terminator. <laughs> just... The Terminator sorting hat. He must combine all the houses into one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Assimilate or get left behind. So he comes out with this great quote of, For our Hogwarts is in danger from external deadly foes, and we must unite inside her or we'll crumble from within. Which is nothing short of really a warning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Hermione kind of makes the mention later of like, well, Ron, I think, makes a mention like, that's weird. Mm -hmm. Hat doesn't usually do that. Nope. And they both look to Hermione as like, well, what? Like, explain this to us. And she's like, weren't you paying attention? Like, yeah. there's problems. There's clearly like a rift here. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, though, if the hat is this sentient and gives out this type of advice, doesn't the, didn't the founders consult the hat at any point in time or any of the other headmasters or mistresses like <laughs> like be like hey hat what are you feeling what's the vibe put it on <laughs> kind of yeah right. like have a little discussion a silent discussion with yourself yeah it's you got it right yeah i would imagine i'm sure some of them would i could see dumbledore doing it because i mean even harry got curious and put the hat on Right. When he went to Dumbledore's office. It was created by the four founders. Yeah. So a little piece of all four of them are in this hat. Yes. You would think you'd want to like... Tap into that wealth of knowledge. Kinda. Yeah. And just be like, hey, it's <laughs> it's like the constitution of the school. Yeah. <laughs> like, There's this existential crisis upon the school. Thoughts? Right. comments concerns and i get it, it's still just a hat yeah. <laughs> which is why it's giving out kind of this general message of like unity mm -hmm. instead of giving you like uh hey 
there's some outside force, mm-hmm. Voldemort, <laughs> that's yeah. like upon us. Right. It's happening. Right. Huh? Yeah. I don't know. But then would you listen to a hat? You're not listening to Albus. No. <laughs> so can you imagine yeah. Fudge? Someone being like, Fudge, the hat told us the Voldemort's hat. back. Yeah, the magical hat. I can't imagine Fudge would take that well. No. You're going to have a hat. Why don't you have the hat be the Minister of Magic? Can you imagine? (laughs) Unity in this time of crisis. Right. Oh, the wizarding stock market goes down. (laughs) Things go crazy. (laughs) I don't know. I just don't know why no one would actually consult the hat other than Harry that one time. All right. I'm going to make a Game of Thrones reference. Okay. The hat is Bran. Just watches the entire time. Just watches the entire time. I was I was about to say stuff, and then I'm like, no, nah, probably shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, we'll get back to that comment later if we remember. Yeah. Anyway, the hat does have a job to do, <laughs> other than sing a song. Um, there are some new students, which I'm obliged to actually mention because um, I love some random names. So we get Ewan Abercrombie, who gets sorted into Gryffindor. Uh, you might know him from Abercrombie and Fitch fame. Yes. Yep. Uh, not true. Uh, don't Google that. And then we get, <laughs> and then we get Rose Zeller, who gets uh, sorted into Molly's house of Hufflepuff. Woo-hoo! So Harry notices that when Albus gets up to speak, he gets this sense of soothing and relief again, which is similar to what he had when Dumbledore showed up at his hearing. This sense of just like he's here, everything's gonna be fine, we're all good, and. I wonder what Albus was thinking, right? Because he's got to get up and give like this speech, which he doesn't really give because he's just like, eat. We're all hungry. Yeah. But you got to imagine like he's sitting there listening to this hat going like, oh, okay, yeah, the four founders. Yep, I've heard this about a million times. Wait, what? <laughs> like, what do you think Albus's thoughts were about the hat's kind of diversion? Yeah. Um... I'm sure that he, I wonder too if he didn't go into his speech because he had to sit and digest it a little Maybe. bit. Maybe. You think yeah. that was the reason why? Maybe. He's like, okay, I need like an extra five minutes here. You yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> what What's going on? Here? The hat didn't give him like a little yeah. uh, heads up to that, like yeah. a little post-it note like, hey, by the way, I'm going <laughs> to drop some bombs on you later tonight. Yeah. Or maybe Dumbledore told the hat to change the song to that so then everybody who is astute at listening was like oh hey like this is actually a thing so you think he gave some lyrical notes to the hat and just like hey can you include this into (laughs) what if you added this you know what i do like the idea though uh (laughs) seriously i do like the idea that you posed of him going straight to dinner because he's like yeah no i need i need a second like consider that right. for a second like <laughs> right that was different yeah okay all right and i'm sure he like i'm sure he knows what hermione gets to later with the ministry is messing at hogwarts i'm sure he's well aware of that mm-hmm. obviously because of who's appointed and who interrupts his eventual speech but i like that idea of him just going i need a minute i need a minute I need a second. Let me throw my beard over my shoulder while I (laughs) eat and consider this. I'm not making that up. He actually, there's words he threw his beard over his shoulder to eat. Yep. Oh, that's an epic beard. Not exactly a Jude Law moment. Although I could see Jude Law doing that. 
Yeah. But I can't see him growing the beard out long enough to do that. No. If there's one tragedy of the Fantastic Beast movies failing so epically, it's that we don't get a Jude Law with like a huge beard and then trying to throw it over his shoulder to eat pumpkin soup or something. It gets to his speech where he mentions that it's Filch's 462nd reminder of no magic in the corridors, mm-hmm. which I still think Albus has started to literally make tack marks on like some on his table maybe where he's like eating. <laughs> you just think little scratch marks. He gets into his uh, introduction of staff members and such, and then we hear a little. Do you, do you have a good impression of it? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, there you go. Oh, okay, Molly wins the umbrella, uh, the umbrage <laughs> impression contest for the night. Uh, so she interrupts him with that little <laughs> bit, and Harry notes that he literally hates everything about her. Yeah. Everything. Mm-hmm. And it's a strong verbiage to say you hate everything about a person. Bad vibes all around. Bad vibes. She gets into her little speech, which seems very practiced, and her big quote was, progress for progress's sake must be discouraged. Tried and tested traditions offer often require no tinkering. And that's, you know, when Hermione has her bit about, you know, it means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. Yeah. Which, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like how Al, Albus is, man, he is having a dinner. Yeah. Uh, he goes, thank you very much, Professor Umbridge. That was most illuminating. Mm-hmm. He hears this. You think he's like, can we just wait on dessert? Like, just bring out the desserts real quick because I need like another. <laughs> I need a moment. I need another moment just to process what that was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He gets the, the hat warning him. And then he gets all of this understated camouflage threats upon him and his school. And... I, again, I imagine he was expecting all of it, but I don't care how much you expect something. Once you hear it or see it, it's still jarring, right? Yeah. Because I feel like, yes, it's a speech directed at the students, but it's really directed at Dumbledore. It's mm-hmm. directed at the teachers. And they make a note about, like, Dumbledore applauds. Yeah. And the other teachers, like, clap once. Yeah. And then all of them, because... <laughs> They're also not stupid. Yeah. They understood everything that Umbridge said. And they were all very attuned to what she was saying. And yes. they're all like, none of this is good. No. And like, uh, just the tone of the whole thing. It's like she's talking to a five-year-old. It's very uh, derogatory talking down to. Yeah. Like, oh, your happy, shiny faces. Like, oh, uh, Fakeness, I think, is the only like word that comes through because passive aggressive fakeness. Yeah, which is a couple of traits that is just so unflattering (laughs) in people. She's veiling threats, some of which are not even that well veiled. They're like just, I mean, the progress for progress's sake must be discouraged. Yeah, I don't even understand what that phrase even means. Because it's like, isn't progress good? Progress is good, yeah. Continuing to get better is good. Mistakes aren't necessarily all bad because you learn from them. Yeah. And I get that, like, you know, people like Einstein or uh, might have been Edison who said, like, 
you know, I found a million ways that a light bulb doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And then it finally worked, <laughs> you know, like things like that. Um, but progress for progress sake must be discouraged. So stagnation is the way to go. Yeah. Just like, nope, we're going to slow this thing down to a halt. Maybe back up a little bit. Like, I don't think that's the answer. Uh, for progress's sake. I guess she's thinking that there's no reason to it's just how deeply you want to you want to look into her statement but i think that's what makes us human i think that's if we don't try to be better people in certain aspects of our lives are you really living it if we're going to go back into the wizarding world for a second <laughs> sorry uh, no no i i brought yeah. it up but if we're going back into the wizarding world for a second, and it's like, it screams to me that she wants to keep the status quo from where the world was before Harry in the graveyard yeah, and the Triwizard Tournament ended. Right. It's like, let's just hit a pause button here and just stop. It's fear. It's a fear of, you know, I think deep down with the ministry, it's a fear of the unknown it's a fear of Voldemort it's a fear of another war it's everything yeah it's change in general I think 100% every reaction from the ministry with all of this is based in fear they want to remain in a space that they feel comfortable in they want to keep the happy place that they were while Voldemort was nowhere to be seen they don't want to deal with the situation at hand. So I think this is her way of kind of stating in that ministry position of, well, why do we have to really, yeah. everything was fine. Mm-hmm. Everything's good. Like literally the burning house. Yes. Everything, everything is fine. <laughs> the dog with the coffee cup. <laughs> yeah, everything is fine. This is fine. I don't know. I, I always just look at some of her quotes uh, similarly to Albus and Hermione and I'm like, there's a lot there. There is. And I think she does a good job of having those quotes bleed into the real world of like, you could apply some of that to some of the real world things going on. And considering this is a number of years later that we're reading this book and we could still find some parallels, I think is some really cool writing. Absolutely. So yeah, uh, they end up getting dismissed and going back to the common room and... Harry gets a little bit of an interesting interaction, I guess you could say, <laughs> with Seamus, who lets him know that he almost didn't return to Hogwarts this year because his mother uh, didn't think it was safe anymore. Yeah. Didn't think it was safe being with Harry Potter. And um, and I, quite honestly, if she even knew half the stuff that Harry got into, she's probably right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, no, you're not going back there. Um. <laughs> But, yeah, it's essentially because of Harry and of Albus. And Albus might be losing his touch a little bit. And Harry was sick of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's sick of hearing that he's a liar. <laughs> and it's it's hard not to get heated. Uh, obviously, this, this interaction gets very heated between him and Seamus. And it's hard not to get heated when you're being called a liar. When you know with 100% certainty that you are, in fact, 
Correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really hard. Yeah. To just eat that and take that and just turn over a new leaf and be like, all right, I'm going to leave this alone and go to bed and be fine tomorrow. It'll be fine. They'll see. It'll be fine. I I mean, I think Harry's anger here, and I know it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a constant discussion, and it has been a constant discussion, but Harry's anger here, I feel, is I get it. I understand it. That being said, he does take... An unnecessary jab because Harry technically kind of starts this fight because to Seamus's credit, Seamus was just asking a question. Uh, Seamus was literally asking, "Hey, tell me what happened. Mm-hmm. Like, let me know what happened." In a very like I feel normal way mm-hmm. that was reasonable. Yeah. He didn't yell at Harry. He didn't accuse Harry. He just said like what his mother thought. He didn't say what he thought. I feel like Seamus was still making up his own mind, mm-hmm. which I respect. Mm-hmm. That he's just not like taking whatever outside noise right. and making it his own opinion. He right. wanted facts from the source, right? which I respect Seamus for. Absolutely. And then Harry got very defensive very quickly. Yeah. Um, and again, I understand the defensive nature that he's taking, but here... He could have handled this differently, yeah. I think. He yeah. could have just either answered the question or just been like, hey, I don't feel comfortable answering that. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. He didn't have to immediately start yelling at Seamus. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but it's it. all I'm saying is it's a complicated thing with Harry. He literally has just had a night where everybody's staring at him, talking about him. Yeah. He presumes it's a lot to do with the prophet recently calling him a liar. He's putting, he's putting the carriage before the Thestral and assuming Seamus was just going to disagree with them or whatever. Because he walked in and Dean and Seamus stopped talking when he walked in. So he assumed where this was going before it got there. And then he got it there himself yeah. as a self-fulfilling prophecy. But I've come to just have strong feelings about what Harry's going through. And I agree, he probably shouldn't have flown off the handle and had a go at Seamus's mom. <laughs> I love that line. Yep. Um, low blow. Low, low blow. blow. Um, it just reminded me of like the your mom jokes. <laughs> Wizarding your mom jokes. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways. Um, but man, I feel for Harry. I understand. All night long, people, like you said, Dan, like all night long, people are staring at you. It's kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. Do I think it's fair? And do I think that he should have? Probably not. But I also don't blame him for it. I can can take understanding with it. I just feel bad when Harry gets so much hate. In this book particular, because I feel like some of it's not super justified. And I know he started this argument, and it didn't have to get to the point in, that it did, but realize all of the stuff he's had to endure just in the last couple of hours. Mm-hmm. And he's on edge. Yeah. I mean, his emotions are very vibrantly on his sleeve. Yeah. And... It won't take a lot to set him off. And I yeah. I just feel like there's a lot of people out there that throw him under the bus for that when 
they themselves, I feel like people when reading this book forget themselves mm -hmm. and forget what emotions are. Yeah. And I think she writes Harry's emotions very realistically. And I am guilty of reading other books being like, or seeing TV shows for that matter, or mm -hmm. movies. And I'm like, oh, I wish this character didn't act this way or say what he's saying or do what she's doing or whatever have you. I'm just projecting what I want that character to be. Yeah. And I think a lot of people project what they want certain characters to be. And some of that isn't themselves. Yeah. They don't want their character to act irrationally because they act irrationally, however justified it might be. Mm -hmm. They want their characters to be perfect. Right. And not as realistic. Yeah. And I think this is, if that makes any sense. Um, no, it does. It does. But I've felt anxiety. I've felt anger. Mm -hmm. I've felt paranoia in yeah. those situations. So I get how someone can feel that way. And I don't blame Harry for feeling that way. I, I guess suppose I understand if you don't want that character to feel those things and just be like mm -hmm. a, a perfect robot of sorts. Right. That's your opinion. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I would just disagree. I think it's a more well-rounded character when he feels real feelings. Exactly. And I think, too, like, considering everything that he's been through, he's a 15-year-old boy with hormones <laughs> and... <laughs> That plays into some of that irrational aspect. Exactly. He's got a lot going on, and it's okay to a certain degree. A lot going on is an understatement. And I don't want to, like, gender stereotype, but I feel like two men and boys in general have a tendency to quick flip to anger. Yeah. We feel and we want to get it out. Yeah. And then we get it out either in the yelling bit mm -hmm. or physically. Yeah. And you just have that fight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it's just women can be the same way too. Again, I don't want a gender stereotype, but um, I just feel from my experiences, men typically express more anger, anger than they do like tears and crying and all of that. So. Oh, I want to hit something. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Like, um, I'm really going the gender stereotype. I'm sorry. <laughs> Neville, of all people, to wrap up this chapter, Neville comes to Harry's defense, which I think is a small, subtle note of character development for Neville that he even feels safe enough or confident enough to pipe up and have a voice in this argument that's happening. Yeah. And he kind of comes across Seamus and was like, no, my, me and uh, my grandmother, like, believe him. Yeah. We're, we're on Harry's side. She always says the prophets, like the one that's going downhill, not Alice, not Dumbledore. So it's just a small little character moment at the end of this chapter that I don't think should go unnoticed. His bravery is peeking through. There's been signs of it early in their books. And this is just another example of like, no, wait. Yeah. Neville, Neville has some stand-up and fight in him, too. Mm -hmm. And this is just an example of... It's tough. Mm -hmm. oh, well, it's the whole thing from Neville early in the book was it's tough to stand up to your friends. It's maybe even tougher to stand up to your friends than your enemies. Yeah. And here's another example of him standing up to 
a friend appear mm-hmm. in Seamus and being like, no, 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 I think Harry's right. Yeah. That takes a lot to stand up and actually say something. So don't underestimate Neville. No. But with that, I think we'll stop it here and we'll get to the spoiler section. And Molly's got some thoughts on a recent debate that we've had on the podcast. I cannot wait to get her thoughts on this. So we will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so we're back with the spoiler section of the Sorting Hats new song. And Molly wants to put her two cents in on the debate that was started several episodes ago. Uh, She hasn't had a chance to to get her thoughts on it yet. So I will turn it over to her on the Harry versus Ron and Hermione and Percy versus Arthur disagreements that occurred. Yeah. And which one was worse? Yeah. What are your thoughts? So, I just love, by the way, just how this debate has carried over. I did not have that on my bingo card. (laughs) I love it. And it was so funny because when I was listening to that episode, in like, I was cleaning my room and everything, and I was just like, wah! (laughs) Like, I was getting heated. What exactly, what like specifically got you that emotional about it? Uh, I mean, I'm so sorry, Jen and Julie. You guys are on an island alone. I 150% feel that the Percy Arthur fight is way worse than the Harry Ron Hermione blow up fighting with your family and having such a horrible break apart of your family like that is just gut-wrenching to me especially the Weasleys like everyone knows my intense love for the Weasleys and how much of a family they are you specifically were you just said Arthur has surpassed Molly in your yes favorite character ranking yes that's big yeah i mean part of me too is looking at this from a personal standpoint i just couldn't imagine saying the things that percy said to arthur to my dad yeah like no like Mm -hmm. i understand that like their relationship is different and percy's a different person i think than some of the weasleys and he has different goals and ambitions but I mean, uh, did he really have to take that knife and just twist it? Yeah. Uh, and like, I understand, like, Harry shouldn't have just like flew off the handle. But again, going back to before in the non-spoiler section, I think Harry has been through a lot. He's been isolated. He hasn't been able to hear news. 
Dumbledore won't even look, like, is just not even looking at yeah. him, not giving him any yeah. news. He's locked up at the Dursleys. The Dursleys are terrible people. They have zero empathy. It's a literal physical and mental prison that he's in. Yes. Like, I think, and this is where, too, again, just rereading the books, like, my opinions and my thoughts have developed and changed and I've been able to kind of look at things a little bit more objectively like I think everything Harry is going through right now there's some kind of there's a little bit of justification for his actions I mean just I I just want people to put themselves in the scenario Mm -hmm. where there's someone that is trying to kill them he <laughs> arises from the dead. That's a great place to start. <laughs> right? You just started. There's someone trying to kill him. He watches this person basically come back to full power yep. to have the means to be able to kill him. Correct. Okay. Yep. Um, then you watch a, you know, friend, student, colleague, whatever, die, get murdered in front of you. Accurate. Yep. Then, when you're trying to fend off and protect yourself from the person that is killing you, all these people pop out that this person has killed, including your parents. And then, you come back, people say that, hey, we don't believe you. You're a liar. You're a loony toonie. Mm-hmm. And then, you're shipped off by yourself, completely isolated, no friends to talk to, with jerk face people that you're living with. Yes. <laughs> that is my <laughs> nice kind way of putting it. Kind yeah. way of saying it. I don't blame him one bit for finally getting to a place where he feels safe enough to express emotion that he just kind of loses it. I think, dare I say, it's even healthy for him to do so? I almost think in a way that yes it is instead of just internalizing all of it right then that blow up is going to be so much worse the longer he actually internalizes all of that anger and resentment and disappointment and nothing positive (laughs) like no yeah i i feel for ron and hermione too it's never fun to be the person on the other side of somebody completely losing it, losing it and yelling at you. Like, don't get me wrong. That's that's a horrible feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's tough. And I also think it says something for their friendship that Harry feels like he's in a safe enough spot to be like, what the heck, guys? And I know they, they want to detach the overall outcome from the argument itself. And what we even got secondhand of Percy and Arthur, I can't imagine what that firsthand account would have been. Because if it's to the point where Percy's name is taboo in the family, Mm -hmm. not just for Molly and Arthur, like for other members of... And the Order. The the whole Order of the Phoenix has to be careful about mentioning Percy's name because that sets everybody on edge immediately. Right. That's... Some major ramifications. Right. Molly breaks into tears every time. Yeah. That she hears Percy's name. 
Right. And Arthur goes from a pretty, you know, chill, laid back, generally, even though he's stressed, happy guy, <laughs> to very stone-faced and very, like, disgruntled. Yeah. Uh, like, there's personality shifts yeah. that happen if a name is mentioned. Yeah. That indicates to me that things were said in a in an argument that are hard to move on from. Yeah. That are deep cuts, not just, you know, some some shallow, like, why didn't you guys write to me? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. You, yeah. Know, you know right. what I mean? And I understand, like, some people, you know, they, they consider their friends to be like their family. Mm-hmm. And I completely understand that. Um, but I don't know. There's something that's just absolutely heartbreaking about a family that, like, is shattered basically. Well, and then you get what Mrs. Weasley says yeah. in in the chapter "The Woes of Mrs. Weasley" when she's seeing all of her family. family members dead in front of her, and then she just has this very real moment with Lupin of just like, you know, what happens right. if Arthur and I die and this isn't settled? Right. Like, that's what one of her big fears is. Mm-hmm. Which the fact that she even says something like that out loud. Speaks volumes. Yeah, that's heartbreak. But I think that's what sends her into tears every time she hears Percy's name is like, this is a war mm-hmm. that we are involved in. We're on the front lines of. Right. There might be no coming back from this. And if there's no coming back from this, mm-hmm. you know, that's a family destroyed that can't be put back together again. Right. It's an interesting conversation. And I know different things set different people off. You know, yeah. the, the the whole... Being yelled at when it's not your fault can really hurt people. Absolutely. And I'm not, you know, disparaging that. No. Um, it's just, I think, to me, it's personal attacks. I think mm-hmm. the personal attacks are much more damaging than, you know, just being screamed at for yeah. random things. And it's personal attacks, like, from your family. Like, from family members that, especially, like, the close-knit family that the Weasleys are, like, I don't know. I, it always, I think it hurts the most for me, personally, if I'm having an argument with a family member and something super personal gets thrown at you. Like, oh, like, oh my god, this person knows me so well and I trust and I love this person so much. And they just threw that, like, little character attack nugget right at me. Yeah. That's the one that sticks with you. Yeah. You'll you'll toss away the, like, so if a boss yells at you and says, Molly, why didn't you do X, Y, and Z? Why didn't you document blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Whatever. You can, like, go to sleep at night. Right. Right. But if they're like, Molly, I can't believe you uh, made this mistake. You're so incompetent. You're so like, I, I can't believe you would make such a dumb, stupid, blah, 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 right. blah, blah. And then they're starting to get personal with it. That's what will stick and give you like anxiety or paranoia going <laughs> exactly. forward. Like, am I good enough? Right. Can I do this? Yeah. Like, you, you know what I mean? No, I get that 100%. That's the difference in the two yeah. things. Right. Um, and then obviously, you know. You get the dynamics of friends or family. And yeah. Like, the, the point you just brought up is that's what will stick with you. Right. 
And I mean, this is just the way that I grew up and the way that my mom and my dad raised me. Like, they basically sat my brother and I down and we were like, you have each other. You two have each other. You always back each other up. Like, that's what, that's who you got. And to think about just the fracturing of, and it was the same thing. Like, my parents were like, you always have us. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad it is, you can always come back to us. Right. We're always going to love you. And we, I think that's the definition of the Weasleys. Right. <laughs> so to think about this huge fight between Arthur and Percy and just, you know, the, the tragedy of that is just... I don't know. That's why I think about, like, Bill and Charlie. And yeah. I'm just like, what's their role in it? Mm-hmm. Of just like, do they contact Percy and be like, dude, yeah, what'd you what'd you say to Dad? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think you understood. Like, this shook things, or or the other way around. Like, mm-hmm. they call up Arthur and be like, hey, I just got a letter from. I I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. Yeah. But it's like, hey, I got a letter from Percy. Well, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> um. So and, and you know, Bill's clued into it because he's there every day. Yeah. You know, Charlie's getting this like. Second, third, fourth hand, yeah. wherever he is. And it's just like, what is going on? Yeah. But I just wonder what the, the two older brothers who are so essential, mm-hmm. especially Bill because he's there, is just like, you know they're talking to him on the side being like, yeah, can you talk to him? Can you like, whatever, yeah. right. smooth this out? But I'm sure Molly's like, can you just try to smooth this out? And then Bill's like, uh, <laughs> like uh no. What do I do here? Um, Backs way into the bushes. <laughs> yeah, kinda. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's tough. And poor like Fred and George. I'm sure like the way that they deal with things is through humor. So they're probably just like, oh. <laughs> and they're this is a, it's an interesting dynamic with Fred and George because their side. We've talked before about how their connection with Arthur is so close, mm-hmm. like particularly of anyone in the family yeah them and arthur are like very very tight knit mm-hmm. so they just go they forego humor and just go straight to attacking percy right they're like how can he do that right to dad right so i mean now you got people picking sides in a uh, family and it's just it just gets uglier and uglier the more it goes yeah which is not great no i'm sorry julie and Ben, <laughs> but I disagree. And I thought um, I just have to do a shout out to Elizabeth's points were awesome. I loved her. I loved hearing that she had a a, a page of back and front of. She single. really did. That's amazing. She had like a whole thing. That's amazing. And then so. I, and Anna went like straight to the book to like. Oh yeah, Anna like, did wait, wait, fantastic wait. Did, too. Did this like? Yeah. Um. So yeah, there, there's a lot and. Yeah. Believe me, Jen and Julie will be on. Yeah. Because uh, I know they have a lot to say still on this subject. Yeah. And you guys listening can still have a lot to say on this subject. Because if you haven't voted on that poll yet, it is still up for a long, long, long time on Spotify. So just yeah. go to that episode, which is Chapter 4, Number 12, Grimwald Place, uh, for Order of the Phoenix. There's a poll there on Spotify. Yeah. Vote. Uh, currently, it is heavily tilted. In the Percy and Arthur <laughs> direction. direction. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you have an opinion on it and you disagree with me and Molly, or me, Molly, Anna, and Elizabeth, 
that's fine. Yeah. Uh, that's your place to let us know and always obviously comment on Twitter and Instagram. Let us know what you're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we get through the spoilers, there's a couple things uh, <laughs> not debate-related that we can kind of dive into. Um, I think Harry struggles at Hogwarts and, you know, the roller coaster ride of opinions that are had about him. He goes on a just whiplash of other students' opinions. Like, we discussed earlier the similarities and the differences between year one and year five, mm -hmm. where people are looking at him, talking about him constantly. Year two, he gets the Chamber of Secrets, Heir of Slytherin talk. <laughs> You know, and it's just one thing after the other. And four, you know, in Goblet of Fire, he's in the Triwizard Tournament. So everybody is pro-Cedric and anti-him. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's really been put through the ringer. Oh, yeah. And until book six, when suddenly he's, oh, he was right. Oh, us being horrible to you all of the fifth year? Oh, forget that. We're cool now. We're buds, right? Yeah. Like, we're good. You're awesome, Harry. The chosen one. All right. And he's like, you know, I'm actually going to go sit with Neville and Luna because they actually believed me. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> they really believed me. You guys clearly didn't. Yeah. And so he gets that tonal shift from five and six that's just so hard and fast. Mm -hmm. And then... Seven, he becomes like this folk hero legend that now everybody's talking about him like, oh, where is he? What's he doing now against Voldy? Like, I wonder where Harry is and where he's in the fight. And yeah, it's just this constant talk. Mm -hmm. And he's the center of all of it all the time. And contrary to popular belief here at the podcast, uh, most of us are actually introverted. Despite yeah. us talking and being heard in like 100 plus countries uh, by more and more people. Thank you. Um, we're actually mostly inter introverted people. Um, except for Julie. Julie's very extroverted. <laughs> Julie's quite the extrovert. But other than that, we're mostly introverted people. I don't think any of us could imagine being in that spotlight. Oh, God, no. And having that all on our shoulders. It would freak us out. Oh, my gosh. Ugh. I'd spend all day, every day, just, like, with an upset stomach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, like, oh, it, it, it'd be terrible. Like, Ugh. walking into anywhere and Ugh. just being, like, instantly recognizable. And everybody's everybody knows who you are. No way. Like, oh, it, that's why none of us are famous. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, it's just interesting, the roller coaster of um, spotlight that's put on here. Yeah. Throughout the books, yeah. And then, lastly, to finish up, I don't want to, I don't want to forget your Game of Thrones mention earlier. <laughs> and I was just thinking of the hat as Bran, and then the invasion going poorly, and just like somehow a dragon comes in, just like Game of Thrones, yeah. and just like burns everything to the ground, and the only thing remaining in like the heart of Hogwarts is the hat. Ooh. And the hat becomes like the new headmaster of Hogwarts. <laughs> Can Love you just it. imagine? Love it. Oh, that would be an interesting. Uh, there's the ending to the HBO there show you go. right there. there you go. Done and done. Done and done. Do you have any other thoughts or comments on this uh, chapter? No, I think I'm good. I think, uh, I think we successfully made it. Covered everything? Yeah. 
All right, so with that being said, we will shut it down for chapter 11, The Sorting Hat's New Song, and we will be back next week for chapter 12, where we meet a professor of a certain demeanor. Mm. It's Umbridge. We're meeting Umbridge. <laughs> so come back for that. Leave us a like, uh, comment on Instagram, Twitter. Share this podcast. It really helps us grow. We've been continuing to grow, and it's been awesome uh, to see kind of the numbers come in. Your comments on Spotify have been so cool to see, and we really appreciate all of it. With that, we will see you next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Apod.